So this morning as we begin to talk about these things, our time is our identity in Him. And this is kind of a broad topic, and, and the things that we're going to be talking about this morning aren't always the most popular today. You don't hear about these things in a lot of pulpits today. But understand this is the Word of God that we're going to be reading today. It's not my opinion. It's none of our opinions. It truly is what the Bible says. Um, and as we think about who we are in Him, our identity in Him, the things that drive us, the things that make us happy, the things that you know um, really keep us going, let's think about quickly for just a moment prior to salvation, right? Or maybe even, even saved when conversations come up like this. What's the meaning of life? What is our purpose? And we can remember a time, I can remember a time, I'll speak for myself, where prior to salvation, I didn't really have a good answer for that. And as now saved, I've been a part of conversations where people are genuinely wanting to know what is the meaning of life? What is our purpose? And now we know what to say. Now we know what to tell them. But how's this for some answers that you may have heard thrown out there? No one knows. I don't care. Who cares? Or how about this one? To find true love and happiness. That's a big one. There's an article that I found by uh, the magazine Psychology Today. I don't recommend reading this magazine. Um, I actually came across it just doing some research. Uh, but it was an article written by a doctor named Neil Burton. And this is what he said about God and about finding ourselves. He said, historically, and still today, many people believe that Humankind is the creation of a supernatural entity called God. That God had an intelligent purpose in creating us, and that this intelligent purpose is the meaning of life. Interestingly, in that opening sentence, he doesn't realize how close he really is. But then he continues to write. He says, I do not propose to go through the various arguments for and against the existence of God. But even if God exists, and even if he had an intelligent purpose in creating us, no one really knows what this purpose might be, or that it is especially meaningful. The second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of a closed system, such as the universe, increases up to the point at which equilibrium is reached. And God's purpose in creating us, and indeed all of nature, might have been no more lofty or uplifting than to catalyst this process in the same way that soil organisms catalyst the decom decomposition of organic matter. Interesting that he would liken God's creation and purpose to decomposing organic matter. I'm convinced. How about you guys? Now, it really is unbelievable when you read things like this. Um, but let's say for a moment it was to pursue love and happiness. What would make one happy? 
by whose definition of love or happiness are we using? And then what are we comparing these things to? There's a list, there's always a list of 20 things that I found online that make us happy. And I, there's many lists out there, and I combined this list with, with, I looked at other lists, and they're all very similar, and even in the order. So I'm not going to go through each thing. You know, we see food, health, water, and air. Air makes us happy. I mean, sure, it keeps us alive, but I don't know if it's happy. Um, but what's not here is religion. I think it was like 25 or 27 in some of the lists. I was surprised to see religion that wasn't here. I wasn't surprised to see relationship with Christ here. It's not. I didn't see it in any of the lists. But looking at this list, does anything in this list really make us happy? I like that number 11 is happiness. <laughs> happiness makes us happy. I don't know. No, nothing in here really truly makes us happy. Uh, so, so this can't be the answer. So to try, and, to try and find true happiness, or true anything, we have to know God, first and foremost. We have to know God. We have to have a relationship with the Father through the Son. Anything else that we have in life is fleeting, and it's false if we're trying to base our happiness off of these things. Remember that lesson we learned um, about evolution in school, right? So we're going to, thinking about our happiness, thinking about who we are, how God created us, the world has a definition of, of these things, how the world came about, how we came about. We tend to disagree on a lot of the points. You know, we look at evolution as we were taught in school, in public schools, and it was always this theory, a theory of evolution, because it really was a theory, it was an idea. A lot of days now in schools, they've taken the theory part out, and it's just evolution. And they're presenting it and teaching it as fact. Scary where we're going. But looking at these things, you know, we, there's a lot of details that are left out of these things. Um, you know, one of the main ones is, you know, you have somehow we evolved from apes to humans. But if you look at evolution and how that works, both still exist and that shouldn't be. So again, small details, and there's a lot of them like that. But let's not, forget to mention that evolution is really based on some observations by a man who wasn't even a scientist, and he was in a particular region of the world that didn't have a lot of change. It was mostly secluded from anything else out there. And all of this, this evolving, took place from nothing. Remember that. There was nothing. You see, this nothingness experienced the greatest explosion never known to man. And then from that chaos came 
where we are today, came order. And this nothing evolved into what we see today. Isn't science amazing? It's, it's so accurate all the time. Now, praise the Lord, this isn't how we came about. There was no Big Bang. There was no explosion that um, somehow evolved into where we are today. Single-celled organisms and whatnot. As we look at these things, um, we're going to look through the Bible because, again, our opinions don't matter. We need to see what God says about these things. And we're going to read a lot of Scripture. And I pray that if we walk away this morning of nothing else, understand that the things that we talk about today, the things that we share, this is what God has to say. This is what the Bible has to say. And we are, we're going to touch on what the meaning of life is. We're going to be able to answer some of these questions. And so looking at these things, we're going to kind of break our time into three areas, created by him, cautioned by him, and then saved by him. Before we do that, though, let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again that you've given us this day. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is alive. Lord, we worship and praise the risen Savior. Lord, thank you for being in our midst. We thank you for your word. And we pray this morning, Lord, that it is your word that we hear. Lord, remove me, remove my words, Lord, but may it be you that is heard this morning. We pray, Lord, that you go before us and prepare our hearts to hear these things. Lord, help us remove any barriers, any distractions. Lord, anything that, again, would stand between us and you. We, change, we pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts, change our perspectives. And Lord, that we would be completely surrendered to you, that your will will be done, and that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, the first point created by him, we're going to really spend most of the time this morning on this first point because there's a lot of foundational things that we want to talk about. I hear an echo. Maybe it's just me from where I'm standing. When I move my head. Um, so if I pause here and there, it's because I have, I'm still echoing my ear. And again, this doesn't mean that the other points are, are less important. They're all important. But there's a lot we want to cover in this first piece. And, you know, when we talk about these things, I suppose we could start anywhere, but even the Bible starts in Genesis, and so we're going to start there as well. The first three verses provide a picture of what these things look like in the very, very beginning. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even in this high-level description, it's impossible for me to fully comprehend what this looked like. And I, you know, there's a lot of questions I have for God when we meet face-to-face. -face. Now, the answers to these questions are probably not important because they're not in the Bible, um, but it's my curiosity. And so at this point, we have God hovering or creating the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was, was without form and void. Everything was still dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And I don't know why, but I love that water was part of the initial creation and didn't come later, like on day five or something. Maybe because water is the essence of life provided by God to sustain life. And Jesus even spoke of his living water, that if we drink it, we'll never thirst again. John 4.14 and then the verse continues on through the days as God creates more and more. Prior to man being created, God took a step back and he looked at his creation and he said it is good. And then starting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all of the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I love verse 31. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. Prior to mankind, his creation was good, and then when he created us, it was very good. It's a very comforting thought to think. And how did he do this? How did he create everything? I don't know. I believe it. It's in the Word of God. And God only has the power, only God has the power to give life like this, to create life. He has the power to restore life. And he also is the only one who has the power to give up his own life, which he did through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And these things are important to discuss. His creation, how these things came about, because it directly affects who we are in him, how we operate, what gives us satisfaction, and everything else. And we know God is a God of order. He speaks his creation to existence and does so on different days, pausing here and there to take a break and observe what he's created. Then he forms man out of dust. He created and breathed life into him. Puts him in the Garden of Eden to do what? Name the creatures and tend to the garden. Man was made to serve God through obedience to his will. There's no confusion in what comes next. Verses 18 and 20. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so prior to Eve coming, it's just Adam in the garden with the animals. And looking around, there wasn't anything that was comparable for him. The King James says that Adam was there not found a help meet for him. The Nazby says that Adam was there not found a helper. All the versions say something very similar. So Adam is the only human on earth, 
And God brought all the animals to Adam. He gave them names. Pretty miraculous feat by itself. But there was no one comparable. And Adam didn't say, well, God, I feel like a dog. I identify as a cow. Adam didn't say these things. There was nothing comparable. And then this happened. Verses 21 through 24, it says, And Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her into the man. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so from man came woman. A woman. Not another man. Not a man that identified as a woman. Not a woman that identified as a man. From man came woman. And I make this point because it's really... This isn't a topic that is popular today, especially teaching from the pulpit. It's not my intention to offend anybody. It really isn't. But it's especially important for us to understand in God's creation, we were created for a purpose. We were created for a reason, in order. We were fundamentally made different. I mean, Adam was, was there was dust and God formed Adam out of this dust and then breathed the breath of life into this form. And then as we just read, from Adam, he laid him to sleep, took a rib. Formed. So we were fundamentally made different for different purposes. And now the woman and the man would have a union of marriage and become one flesh. There's no other variables written here, guys. Just a man and a woman, one in the flesh, in marriage. And if we're going to discuss these things about who we are in him, we need to understand why we're made, how we're made, why it's only a man and a woman. And I, I truly pray that as we come out of this, there's, there isn't any confusion. This would clear up any confusion. We, we hear this term a lot, and it, it's we need to be able to teach what the Bible says about these things. Matter of fact, Psalm 139, 14 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Or fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And his works are marvelous. We have no business trying to assign our sinful thoughts, our lusts of the flesh, our wandering minds to God's design. We don't have a right and he's, he doesn't stand for it. His design is perfect. We should never forget that and never shy away from being able to tell somebody this truth. Let's pray we don't. Many people are deceived into thinking other things. And when confronted about this, how many of us have been called narrow-minded, old-fashioned? We hear the word extremist now, even terrorist. There's a lot of our brothers and sisters that get arrested in other countries because in the government's opinion, they're trying to undermine national security. 
by the Word of God. This is deception. And we know we don't say these things because we think we're better than anybody else. We're not judging. We're not pointing a finger. This is one sin of many. We say these things because it's our job to be able to speak God's truth and love into the lives of the people around us. We say these things to remind people of the work that he has for us, that he's done in us and through us. And that we're all sinners saved by grace. We're, we're nothing special. We don't bring anything to the table. We're sinners saved by grace. But we're also obedient to be able to speak these things in love. And understand that any confusion or disorder or that anything that we experience like this in the world, um, God brings order to these things. He loves all people, but he's no respecter of men. His grace is extended to all who believe and call upon his name, but his wrath is righteous. And we're sitting here this morning, we're watching online. Do we know God? And more specifically, do we know Christ as Savior? And don't be deceived. All people know of a God. They serve some God. And some of them are very devout to that God. We've talked about this before. We'll do anything. But they're deceived into thinking that they're serving God, our Heavenly Father. They are mistaken. And some have even made very bold and righteous-sounding statements. Here's, here's two quotes. You've probably heard them before, but I'll repeat them to now. The focus-minded man, in particular, has the sacred duty each in his own dominion of making people stop just talking superficially of God's will and actually God's will fulfilled and not let God's word be desecrated for God's will gave men their form, their essence, their abilities. Anyone who destroys his work is declaring war on the Lord's creation, the divine will. The same person also said, I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. And you, you hear these things, you read, you read these things, and you think, wow, this person must be talking about our God. And these two quotes certainly sound as if they came from somebody who certainly believes in what he's doing, what he stands for. Well, there was a book written by a man who said these things, and that's where these two quotes came from. And This man's ideologies were wrong. His dreams and aspirations were really downright demonic in many ways. And many millions of people suffered because of this. This book, where these two quotes came from, is called My Fight. But if you translate that into its original language, German, Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler wrote these things. Interesting. And I only bring this up because, as we've just said, we serve the God that we choose to worship and identify ourselves to that. And if we serve any other God other than the Almighty Father, our, the, the true Heavenly Father, the deception that we allow into our lives will lead us to a place far beyond what is right and pure we'll never find our way back except for by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And there's a very sobering proverb. We've, we've all read it. We're familiar with it. I know you guys are. Proverbs 7. It talks about the wiles of the harlot and the, how crafty this harlot is. It starts out in verse 1 and 2. It says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live in my law as the apple of your eye. Keep my commands and live. It doesn't say keep these commands if you want, if it's convenient, if you identify with it. It says keep them. There's no deviations and no compromise here. Verse 21 through 23 go on to say, With your enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow stuck, struck his liver and a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. He was on his way minding his business. He was distracted, tempted by the deception, yielded to the temptation. He gave in, but it says immediately. There was no thinking about it. He simply went the other direction. And it cost him his life. And then to make the matters worse, 25 through 27, it says, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not strain to her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Think about that. Her house is the way to hell. These weren't weak men. These were strong men who immediately were deceived and went that way. The temptation is hard, the drive is hard, but we have something even stronger to keep us on the straight and narrow. But we need Jesus Christ, the Savior, to do that, to have the strength and endurance necessary. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As soon as that thought pops up into your brain, don't entertain it. Don't give it a second thought. Don't let it sink in. Don't let it take control of you physically, anything else. Take it into captivity. Lock it up. Throw away the key. And then put those things before the Lord. Do we believe in our lives that we allow this deception to seep in? Do we allow for the opportunity, even in the slightest, by the things we listen to, by the things we watch, the conversations that we have, the people that we have in our lives? Do we allow ourselves to be deceived, misled, corrupted, and then wonder if we ever even had a choice? How many times have we heard, or maybe we've even said, but I didn't have a choice. I had no choice. It is a choice. Who we are, what we do, everything about us, we either choose to follow God or the world. It's very simple. And it's a deception. We're deceived to think there's a fence that we're straddling. We're deceived to think there's some gray area that we can kind of go marine, you know, in and out of. There's no gray area. And more and more, you know, in my personal time with the Lord, through prayer, through his word, I'm reminded of, of, of this truth. There's no gray area. There's, there's no line to straddle. We either choose to follow him or we don't and there's that's it that's all there is 
No one can serve two masters, Matthew 6.24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So this question of why we're made, there's many verses that talk about this. What's the meaning of life, for example? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre pre prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Isaiah 43.7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, Jesus gave us the perfect example of that in the garden. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. To commune with him. This is why he created us. To call us a friend. We cry out to our Father. We are his children. We're made in his image, their image, the triune God. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says that God made man upright to serve him, be obedient to our Heavenly Father. This either is true or it's not true. And I'm here to tell you it's true. We read, we read it together in the Word of God. We know that the Bible is reliable. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A humbling thought occurred to me, though, when I was praying over this and thinking about this. Oftentimes we hear people say, but I, I don't believe the Bible. How can it be, rel be reliable if I don't believe it? I don't think it's true. Or I don't believe in God. I don't think God really existed. I don't think Jesus existed as you think he did. I think the Bible is a bunch of stories that attempt to bring about principles of good living, doing the right thing, but it's not meaning to be taken literal. I mean, how many times have we heard that in our lives? The truth of the matter is, is our lack of belief doesn't make the Bible false. It only makes us wrong. So we either believe we're made in the manner described in the Bible, or we don't. We either believe the union of marriage is between a man and a woman, or we don't. We either have a relationship with the Father through the Son, or we don't. And really, to believe anything but exactly what the Bible says means we're deceived. Philippians 2.10.11 says, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in those in the heavens and of those on earth, and of those under the sea, and that those every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A time's going to come, folks, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And we don't have to believe it for it to happen. It's going to happen. Are we going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or depart from me, I never knew you. Such a wonderful, happy topic today. <laughs> it is, it is. Our second point is cautioned by him. So praise the Lord, he cautions us along the way. And, you know, we don't need to spend a lot of time, and we won't, just in the interest of time. But um, we read a lot in the Bible, and hopefully we've all read the Bible all the way through, but in it, there's a lot of points where we're cautioned. 
It's funny, when I first read the Bible cover to cover, it was right after I was saved, and you know, there's a lot of read the Bible in the year kind of programs out there. And those are great things, don't, don't get me wrong. But I was going to do it on my own. I wasn't going to follow like a set of things. Well, two and a half years later-ish, I finished. But because there's so much. There's so much in the Word, and I, I barely scratched the surface in that. And every time you open the Bible, you, you go deeper. Um, beautiful thing. But these cautions uh, that we, these warnings that we get, Genesis 2.17 told God, God told Adam that he should not eat of the fruit of the trees, the knowledge of good and evil, and in the warning. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And notice God didn't say that if you eat the fruit. He says, in the day that you do. Because he already knew that he would, and he already knew the day. The warnings continue. Deuteronomy 4, Moses tells the people, listen to the statutes and the judgments which he taught on. Verse 6, he says, therefore be careful to observe them. There's the warning. The prophets warned us. Ezekiel 3.17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Isaiah warns. Jeremiah warns. All the prophets warn. The apostles. John, the apostle John warns us in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? How many warnings do we have in Psalms and Proverbs? Let's read them. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot. There's a lot in Psalms and Proverbs. Even Jesus warns us, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Revelation 22.20. 20. Now, this is both a beautiful promise that many of us long for, but it's also a warning. And then we think, why do we receive so many warnings? Why are there so many examples? We tend to forget, folks. We make up excuses, we claim ignorance, we flat out lie to ourselves, to God. But remember, God knows that it's easy for us to sin. It's impossible for us to not. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted by Satan himself. Yet he never sinned. Psalm 103.14 says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. He remembers <laughs> that we're dust. But he sent his son. He sent his son. And this brings us to our last point. Saved by him. We're saved by him. And now that it's no longer that us that lives, it's he that lives in us. To serve his perfect will. And we're doing so and are perfectly equipped to do what he's asked us to do. Think about this for a moment. When God is with us, when we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, our eyes are upon him. What can stop us? Truly, what can stop us? Remember that story? We've talked about it many times. Paul, when he was shipwrecked and he was doing his thing and he reached down and the viper, you know, just shakes it off, keeps on going. 
Didn't even let it phase him. What can stop us? If we're in the will of God, not even a poisonous snake can stop us. Folks, our identity is in the Father through the Son. Through the speaking of the Word of God, remember God said, and He spoke creation into the into existence. So, from the speaking of the Word in creation to the manifestation of the Word of God into flesh for salvation. Every perfect gift is from above. The relationship that we have with our Savior takes our hopelessness and brings us hope. Our fear to comfort, our anxiousness to peace, our hard hearts filled with compassion, anger to love. This union that we have through salvation can be described in, in so many different ways. Um, one way I like to think about these things is kind of like a three-part picture. The first part is God before us. And there's three verses here. We're not going to read them all, just in the interest of time, but God before us. In the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31.8. He goes before us in everything. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He goes before us. God is in us. God is with us. Three verses here. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. Just reminders, really. God is in us. God is with us. And then the last, God for us. Three verses. Romans 8.31 says, When then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Love it. And then uh, Romans 8, 14, 15 says, For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to our Heavenly Father. So as we close today, folks, our identity is rooted in who we are in His creation. We're made by Him in His image for our purpose to glorify Him so that through Him His will will be done. And we need to understand how important it is that as believers, we are a new creation in Christ born again, dead to the old man. But we still need to die to ourselves daily. Genesis 1, 27. Then God said, ah, there it is, the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is a capital O, folks. Our 
image according to our likeness, capital O. And please pay attention to this capitalization. There's a lot of Bible versions out there today that don't capitalize this. It can be very confusing. And a lot of Bible studies and devos are set up with these versions, so they're not capitalized. So it can be very confusing of who this hour is, but make no mistake, this is God. This is our triune God. And this says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle. In our image, in our likeness, think about it like this. When you have a young boy and you see the father and them walking together, many times you see that the son carries the same kind of attributes as the father. They walk the same way, they stand the same way, they look similar. This is what we're talking about. We're made in the image of our triune God. The things that we do, the things that we say are because of our creator, God. But because of the sin of the world, we're separated from that. But only through the blood of Jesus are we made whole again in him. Think about this verse, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know him. The world around us doesn't understand our relationship with God, doesn't understand how we can believe the things that we can believe, how we don't conform to the things of the world. It doesn't understand. But think about the love that was poured out that made it all possible. His perfect love poured out. The world doesn't see it because it doesn't know him. But rest assured, we are his children. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, pray to God that through these words, through his word, that his truth is revealed to you. Ask him to break down those strongholds. There's a lot of strongholds that the enemy has put in our path that need to be broken down, but only he can do it. Don't leave this place today without calling upon him as Lord and Savior. What does the world say we are? Who does the world say we are? Oftentimes it's not nice. Who cares? Who does God say we are? What does he call us? His children. We have such a loving Father. And this is only possible by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads, folks. As the worship team comes up, if you've never asked Christ to be your Lord, we're, well, I'm not extending. God is extending an invitation to you now. There's no reason to rate, wait. There's no reason to put it off any longer. We don't know when the Lord is coming or calling us home. And by then it's too late anyway. So if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just stand where you're at. Don't worry about what people are thinking, what people are saying. If you're in this room, <laughs> we're going to be... We're going to be praising God for his, his love. If you're at home, stand where you are. I don't want to belabor this, but I also... We can't take for granted that each of us here has a relationship with Christ. 
we want to make sure we leave today with at least by allowing that opportunity to put your faith and trust here or at home. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you at one time had a relationship and you've walked away. And you've heard these words, you've heard the word of God spoken today and it spoke to you. And you want to recommit your life, stand where you are, at home, here. We'd love to pray with you. Remember, the enemy can't impose anything against our lives that Jesus Christ has already defeated at the cross. Satan would like for us to forget these things. If anyone is standing at home, repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for all of my unrighteousness. Forgive me, Lord, that I've have ignored you, have acted as if you never existed. Forgive me, Lord, of these sins, of all my sins. Fill me now, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe, Lord, that you, Jesus Christ, are our risen, risen Savior. And I cry out to you now, Lord, that you would save me. The Holy Spirit would indwell within me. Save me from my sin, Lord. Open my eyes, tear the veil. Help me repent, Lord, from these things that I hold fast to. Truly turn away from, Lord. Make me a new person today. Forgive me, Lord, for turning my back on you. I cry out to you now, Lord. Save me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.